So 2016 was a crazy year. Amen. It, it was crazier than that. Amen. Amen. So crazy that the Oxford English Dictionary said its word for 2016 is post-truth. Yeah, you heard that right. Let me say it again. Post-truth. Now, the prefix post means after or following. So what they're saying at Oxford and the the, uh, great minds that are, say we are in an age, especially in 2016, where we are beyond truth. Objective truth does not matter anymore. Our world, if they said one collective thought in news media, political campaigns, and all the craziness that went on, is that we are beyond truth. We're beyond objective truth. And that is such a sad indictment of where we are today. But as people of God, we have one truth. It is unchanging and it is unshakable. And while the world doesn't know what truth is, they don't like truth claims, they would never live by that. But we should never give way to that. Because the entire human existence, whether the the relativists or the humanists want to admit it or not, is one of asking and seeking. And why do we ask questions? Because we need answers. And we realize we're not the ones with all the answers. I mean, children do that instinctively. As soon as they begin to talk, what is this? Why is this happening? What is this? What is this? Why is this? What is this? Because they know I don't have the answers and I want to know. No one asks questions expecting a lie. No one seeks for something. No one goes treasure hunting expecting not to find what they're they're looking for. People ask because they need answers. They seek because they want to find something. They knock because they're without and they want to be let in. And our life is one long search for truth. Because no matter how much the world says, if there's no truth, No one lives like that. You don't go up in a plane and assume that the engine was true yesterday and it might not be true today. You trust in truth whether you want to admit it or not. But what truth are we applying to our lives and what are we seeking? You know, this fundamental recognition that we don't know everything starts when we're children. And when we're children, what do we do? We ask our parents. It is so instinctual. It's so basic. Mommy, what is this? Daddy, what is this? Jesus recognizes this. And Jesus, when we get into our passage this morning in in Matthew 7, Jesus is going to address this this familial concept of a a child going to a parent and a parent providing for a child to show us how good our father is, how much greater than our earthly parents our father is. Jesus mirrors this wonderment and discovery of a child and connects it to the ultimate search for our Father in heaven because all truth will lead us to the God of heaven and earth. And like everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, this is written to believers. We said early on that those who are poor in spirit, that is essentially a thesis statement for the Sermon on the Mount. This is a family conversation. This is around the dinner table. Jesus is saying, you who know me, you who belong to me, come a little closer. I want to to tell you what it looks like to live in my kingdom, to be a part of my house. 
mean, he just said it a few verses earlier, which Justin taught on a few weeks ago. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Now, a lot of people try to approach the Sermon on the Mount like they're little individual teachings that don't connect to one another. And that is a huge mistake because Jesus is building on deeper spiritual concepts here. And we need to challenge ourselves to to look at that because last week we looked at judging. Okay, what does judging have to do with asking? Remember where we ended up last week. We need to self-examine the sins in our own lives. We need to look at the logs in our own eyes before we can help our brother. And unless we repent of our sins, unless we recognize our sins, we can't ask our father according to his will. Because we're still stuck in the quicksand of our own sin and our own selfish desires. So before we can approach him to ask, to seek, and to knock, we must take a look at the logs that are in our own eyes. Let's read our passage this morning and let's walk through it. And hopefully this will be helpful to you. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. For the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that your word, which is living and active and able to pierce joint and bone, that would pierce our hearts, that would convict us of our sin and of our inability to approach you, but also encourage us how good you are and how much you love us, that you give, you give good gifts to your children. You give the greatest gift we could ever ask for. This morning, I pray that uh, my words and my inability to express these eternal truths will not get in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. You would apply it to our minds and it would transform our hearts and it would transform our actions so as we go out into this world that we will be rooted in your truth that is unshakable, that is unchanging because you are sovereign, you are unchanging and you are unshakable and we must be rooted in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, ask, seek, knock. Uh, Many times, People try to make a lot out of this. Well, asking is one dimension and seeking is another dimension and knocking is another. Yeah, there is a sense to which that's true. We're not going to get into that. I mean, these are essentially three aspects of the same discipline. And the Bible talks about seeking more than any of the others. And these can all can be, be encompassed in seeking. Because if I'm asking for something, it's something that I'm seeking for. If I'm, if I'm knocking, I'm seeking to get in. Seeking kind of encompasses the three of these. So we're not going to spend much time on the difference between asking and seeking and knocking. But this is another one of those passages that is often misunderstood. And like the last few weeks, we're going to talk about how this is distorted in, 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 in false gospels and how this is uh, applied appropriately biblically. Let's talk about what this is not first. This is not a passage about evangelism or uh, church philosophy. This is a uh, kind of a basis verse for the, the seeker movement that tries to be like culture and look like culture and sound like culture 
to reach culture because they assume that everyone seeking after God. But like we said, this is a family conversation for those who are poor in spirit and who recognize their own sinfulness. Yes, the Holy Spirit draws them, but with the Holy Spirit, they're able to seek after God. Well, wait a second. This isn't what I've always heard. Everyone is seeking after God. Everyone's seeking after. Well, let's see what Paul says about that in Romans 3. I want to get this out of the way. Paul in Romans 3, verses 11 and 12, is quoting from Psalm 14. These are not uh, easy words to hear, but it gives us an idea of our condition, and it helps us to see this passage in context. So Paul says uh, in, in verse 10 of Romans chapter 3, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, if you think this is just crabby Paul, who's righteous and, and uh, I could never live up to Paul's standard. Paul is quoting the psalmist from 1,500 years before. No one seeks after God. No one is righteous in and of themselves. But there's a key verse here that helps us to understand that with righteousness still in Romans uh, chapter three in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe in and of ourselves. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. We do not seek God. But through faith in Jesus Christ, for those who believe there is righteousness, and then and only then can we seek after the things of God. Hopefully that's understood. I need to repeat that and we need to get that. Without the righteousness of Christ, we have no righteousness of our own. Without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we do not draw near to God unless the Father is drawing us first through the Spirit. Only when you are led by the Spirit of God do you seek you ask and you knock after the things of God. Only when you are part of the family do you become to be about the family's business. Once you're regenerated, once you were born again, then we can be part of our father's house and seek after the things of our father. But first, he must seek us. All the way back to Ezekiel chapter 34. You don't need to, to, to turn here, but it's Ezekiel 34, 16. If you want to spend some time, that chapter, Ezekiel 34, is so helpful in understanding our fallen condition. But Ezekiel 34, 16, uh, God is speaking about sending a, a shepherd. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the, spur, the, the strayed. The great shepherd will come and bring back his people. Jesus coming fulfills that in Luke 19, 10 and says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The seeking is first done by the shepherd. The sheep are not seeking after the shepherd. The sheep seeking after the next tuft of grass. They're seeking after the next greener pasture. The shepherd seeks them and brings them home back into the fold. So, number one is not to encourage a, a seeker movement that thinks that if we just appeal to the, 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 the right nerve of the, the, the culture, that they'll like us and they'll, they'll come and want to be like us. Number two, this is not name it and claim it prosperity theology. This is not ask for selfish things for myself. And God wants me to have my best life now. If your best life is now, I feel sorry for you. Because you wouldn't be happy in heaven in God's glory. And you really wouldn't be happy in the new earth reigning with, with, with Christ forever. This is a pit stop 
ladies and gentlemen. We are not to ask for selfish things. We're not to ask for things that give us pleasure now. We We are to ask for good things, things that matter for eternity. We are not to seek after our own joys and temporal happiness. We are to seek after the kingdom of God. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are not to knock on the doors that are easy or the doors that seem nice now because the world knocks and things uh, that don't fulfill them. And when it's too late, you end up like the people in Noah's time. Jesus talks about those, those, those people who won't have anything to do with them until he shuts the door and then they knock and he says, I never knew you. We're not talking about that kind of knocking that, that only seeks when it's, when, when it's too late. Those who are asking for the things of God, those who are seeking righteousness first, they will knock and he will open unto them and he will welcome them. And actually, it's a, it's, it's a blessing. God doesn't give us everything we ask for, right? Amen? Because... In our frailness, we ask for our selfish desires. We petition God more often than not for our selfish gain. And many times that is outside of what pleases God. God, I need an answer to this right now. I need this now. I need this like yesterday. You know, but as children coming before our father in heaven, we come before him kind of like children, right? I mean, parents, what would you what would you see in your kids if you gave them everything that they asked you for? You thought about that? Everything that they asked you for, what would happen to them? Not only, not only would you be broke, but they'd be spoiled, they'd be unappreciative, and they would not be prepared for the world around them. It's not a good thing. So parents, adults, kids, how many times are we like that? How many times do we get angry at God because he doesn't give, every, we, he doesn't give us everything we ask for when we ask for it? It's a tough question to ask, but we go through life like that. Many people go through life like that, thinking of a God who doesn't care enough to give them, give me what I want when I want it. But a good God or a good parent knows the difference between wants and needs, knows the difference between what will bring their children into maturity and what will bring them into spoiled rottenness. And the world who doesn't like truth seeks to spoil us. Indulge yourself. Do everything that makes you happy right now. How's that working out for you? The purpose of asking, John tells us, it's going to be on your screen. First John chapter five. John sums this up. What are we to ask for? How does he listen to those who ask? 1 John 15, it'll be up on your screen. Verse 13. You got it? All right, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 13 through 15. So John, there we go. So John wrote the gospel, wrote three epistles, his first great epistle, the first John that talks about what it means to be a believer, the marks of a Christian. What does he say? What is the purpose of his whole letter? I write these things to you who believe. First of all, it's written to believers. 
It's written to Christians, those who have been washed in the blood of Christ, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It's written for our assurance, for our encouragement. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This is the principle by which we interpret this entire passage. John, Jesus' closest disciple, knew what Jesus was teaching, that if we ask according to his will, he, anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that have been asked of him. So we always read that, we get that, okay, if we ask according to his will. But what does he say one verse later in verse 16? If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. We're not going to go into the rest of the, 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 path, the verse, but I want you to see that. The one example he gives is not asking for ourselves. It's asking for our brother to be reconciled. What do we ask for? Someone asked me this week, is it a good thing to keep asking for someone who I love, who doesn't know the Lord, to come to know him? Should I keep asking? Absolutely. That's the best thing you can ask for. This is the best prayer you can pray, nothing for yourself, but for someone who is far from the Lord to know the peace that you know, to know the good father that, that you know. Those are people who ask according to his will. We don't ask for ourselves because we know our father will provide for us, provide for us like the ravens. He will adorn us like the lilies. We ask for those who are far from him. We ask for our father to bring more children into his family and trust that he is good and trust that he listens to us. We are his children. Many times we sing these songs, we know these things, but I want you to know we are his children. In Christ Jesus, you are sitting at the family table. Before he says, pass whatever we're eating. What can I do for you? I love you. You love me. What can I do for you? Our father is good. He listens to us. And those who walk in his will, he hears, he answers. We're going to look at in a moment about persistence. Uh, Jesus tells of the persistent widow. We all know this story. It's not even coming before an unrighteous judge, this woman, because she nags him so much, he gives her what she wants. Jesus is saying, aren't I better than this, than this unrighteous judge? If you ask me, if you ask according to my will, won't I give you more than this unrighteous judge who gives to you just because you nag him? Our father is so much greater than these unrighteous judges and the people who, who will give us what we want if we just ask enough here. And our brother is our intercessor who asks on our behalf. Back in Matthew, uh, verse 8, 4. Anyone who asks, everyone who asks receives. And for the one who seeks finds, and for the one who knocks, it'll be open. And this is a beautiful picture of the special favor that we enjoy as children of God. And the access we have to our Father, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks, the door will be open. He listens. He's accessible to us, and he provides for us. Remember in our, in our introduction, we talked about why do we ask and why do we seek? Because we need answers. We are not the authority. We are not the source. 
So we go to the source. We go to the giver of every good gift. And he gives abundantly. And this is also shows us God's sufficiency and God's goodness versus our inability and our lack. Because if we had it all, if we had all the answers, we wouldn't need to go before him. We wouldn't need him. If we had all the ability in and of ourselves, God would serve no purpose. We know that's not true. Sometimes we like to put a little bit more in the ability of ourselves column versus the power and goodness of God column. And this is about loving provision from a loving father and the utter dependence of the children on that father. Remember, all of the Sermon on the Mount is in the context of those who are poor in spirit. Those who are broken at their own sin and their own ability to accomplish things on their own. Uh, I said we're going to look at the word seek. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a word study here. What does scripture say about seeking? Because it talks about it very, very often. Uh, first, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. These will be up on the screen as well. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. All right, first of all, remember, this is a family conversation. Without faith in Jesus Christ, you're not doing any good on your own. Remember, no one seeks after him until you have his righteousness. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. <coughs> Whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. The writer of Hebrews wrote the book of Hebrews to draw together these Old Testament concepts that the Jews understood and bring them into life in light of Christ. The next chapter, all the way back to, uh, next verse, all the way back to 1 Chronicles 28. And you, Solomon, my son, know the good of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. You see this even all the way back in the time of Solomon. God is our father. Those who seek him with a whole heart and a willing mind. He will be found by them. God searches the hearts. We've seen the past couple weeks. This is not outward devotion. This is devotion that transforms our hearts and transforms everything we do. Seek after the things of God. Next passage in Psalm 119. You probably know this one. How can a young man keep his way pure? First question. I I love Psalm 119. I would love to do a series in Psalm 119. We probably won't because it would take all year. But how does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Being rooted in God's word. And with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Be rooted in God's word and seek him with your whole heart. Proverbs 18, 17, or 8, 17. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. This is not a new concept. This is something that the writers of scripture have always known that our hearts must desire the Lord. That our minds must be transformed to know him. That our hearts must be transformed to seek after him. That our ways must be transformed. That we will walk according to his statutes and we will find him. And the last one, Jeremiah 29. When we all know, Jeremiah 29, 11. And we all know, we mentioned the, the prosperity teachers that are out there. They love this, this passage. I mean, some of them have gotten very, very rich off of it. 
You know, uh, one in particular, I don't mind calling names. Uh, Joel Osteen has gotten very, very rich off of this verse. It is written everywhere in his palace that he calls the church. Um, and he uses it out of context and he uses it in a, a way that is harming people and making himself rich in the same time. Because Jeremiah 29 is in the midst of uh, Judah who was rebellious and was cast out of their land because they were not obedient. And God had just finished telling them a couple of verses before that you're going to have 70 years of, of judgment. But if you seek me in that time of judgment, I will restore you. So Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you f- future and hope. Hold on right there. Remember we said that if your best life is now, I feel sorry for you. When this verse is applied to give you everything you want right now, if it's applied selfishly, it is applied incorrectly. Because this is not about stuff. On to the next verse, verse 12. Then he will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Verse 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is not about stuff. This is about our hearts being devoted to God. And then the abundance comes. But many times it's, I want the abundance first, and then I'll love God. The good news is that our loving Father listens to children. And he has grace and mercy and blessing and unending supply. And he gives more than we could ever ask or imagine. Many times he gives things very differently than what we think we wanted, what we think we needed. He gives better gifts than we ask for, let's be honest, because we ask for stuff. We ask for things that, that, that wear out. We ask for things that give us pleasure now. He offers eternal riches. It comes from a heart that seeks him wholly. I mean, this is the rhythm of our Christian life. We ask for daily bread. We seek after the things of God. We knock and petition persistently to find truth, to find our identity rooted in the things of God. And as we go through our lives, so when we see in Scripture, as we go, as we move, as we walk, as we, as, as we race, all of these uh, verbs that, that, are, that are used um, are they verbs? Nouns. Uh, that, that are used to describe the human life. It's never stationary. It's never uh, as you stand for the rest of your life and don't move from this spot. We will walk and we will move and we will do things in our lives. But as we go through our lives, we ask a good father. We seek the things of God. We knock to be let in to the gracious, wonderful mercies and gifts of our loving father. That's the rhythm of the Christian life, one of dependence on, on him. doesn't mean we, we check out of our lives and become a monk on a, on a mountain somewhere. It's just we walk by faith. Not according to sight, not according to the things that, that we see on the outside that look pretty and make us comfortable, but the things of substance, the things of eternal value. So we go on to verse 9 in our passage. Like I said, he brings it from the general down to the familial. He brings it from the general proclamation to the family dinner table. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? 
Jesus does this often. He makes the argument from the simple to the grand. This is such a simple thing. If you, you being the imperfect father that you are, the imperfect mother that you are, know the difference between a rock and a stone, why are you selling me so short? I think there are two big errors that happen in the life of believers, definitely in the life of those who reject the Lord. The two big errors, one says that God isn't good enough because God acts differently than he th- than I think he should. God does something different than what I asked for. I asked for this and I didn't get it. God's not good enough. God doesn't love me because he doesn't love me as much as I love me. And that's probably the issue. The other error says God isn't big or powerful enough. He can't provide. He won't provide. Do we ever approach God like that? Like, I will trust him with my salvation, but I won't trust him with my finances. I won't trust him with my children. I won't trust him when I wake up this morning and drive to work. It's amazing how we can see these grand things and proclaim these, these truths with the little things throughout our life. Like, I ask, we'll give it to you. Seek me with your whole heart. You know, one of the most important things that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, probably a concept he mentions mentions more than any other, is for us to see God as Father, to bring this home from the grand down to the dinner table. I love when Paul says, when we come to him for the first time, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's kind of the Aramaic version of Dada. Like we approach him as this helpless babe. He loves us and swaddles us and holds us in his arms. I mean, Parents, you know this, and you see your, your, your baby. You say, I will give you anything. I will give you my life. Imagine how much more our good father will give to us. He wants us. Jesus wants us to enjoy the intimacy that he enjoyed with the father. We see that in, in John 17. When he talks to the father, there's this intimacy. There's this, this personal connection. I want my people to be one as we are one. Jesus wants us to get there. He wants us to have this intimacy that we know God personally. We know him passionately. We know him as our father if we know Christ as our brother. Turn from the things of this world. We turn from the sins of this world and trust in him alone as Lord and Savior. Only once Christ is the object of our hope and our faith can we draw before the father confidently. Because then our confidence is not in ourselves like John said, our confidence, those who know the Lord, not only that that he he listens, but he preserves us for eternity. He's welcomed us into our house and no one can pull us out of his hand. Earthly dads make mistakes. Earthly moms make mistakes. But still, they know the difference between bread and a stone, between a fish and a serpent. Our heavenly father only gives good gifts because God is good all the time and all the time. Amen. Amen. Verse 11. If you then who are evil. Anybody feeling a little uncomfortable right now? If you then who are evil. Yes, we are evil. Might be a couple of you in here. Maybe some of you saying I'm not evil. I know what evil looks like. I'm not evil. Remember Romans 3? 
Without Christ, you were evil. And the evil that we were born into, that sin, it is still pervasive in our lives right now. Without God's word, without being convicted by the Holy Spirit, our first thought in the morning is evil. We go to bed, it is evil. Even if it doesn't look evil on the surface, it is in worship of ourselves. Our nature is not kind of bad. It's really bad. It's fully affected by evil, completely depraved. Because if it wasn't, there'd be hope for salvation in and of our own merit. If we weren't completely lost, we could find our way back. Jesus, we could seek him on our own, but we can't. This is hard to hear in our culture of gold stars and participation ribbons and safe spaces. You're still evil. I don't care what you tell them. Because first, we are born of our father, the devil. But we must be born again of our God, Father in heaven. And when we are born again, we are no longer children of this world. We are no longer children of Satan. But that sin and that evil, it's all around us. And we need to recognize that our life is one of spiritual warfare. We spend a lot of time talking about this in our Ephesians study. We don't walk through with, with hearts and candy canes. I think a lot of people come to Christ assuming that everything's going to be easy. Okay, I, I, I know Christ now. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me again. Evil will never approach me. We walk down the street every day and look eye to eye. People who hate God, who hate you because you love God. Doesn't mean that life's going to get easy because you're in Christ. But we are in Christ. And God is our Father. And once we are born into that life, there is no turning back. But we must recognize that we are in that state of nothing, bringing nothing good on our own. But thankfully, our Father is so good that he gives gifts for all of his people for all eternity. And he is sufficient for every one of our weaknesses. You know, if we weren't evil, Christ wouldn't have come. He wouldn't have had to come and die. He wouldn't have had to endure his own wrath on the cross. Christ died because of us. Christ died for sin, and not just any sin, but our sin. And sins that still plague us every day. We love when we spent time in Ephesians. I want to turn there real quick. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 for me. One of those passages that just, we've read so many times here, and we had so much fun in our uh, Ephesians study at the beginning of, of verse four. So I want to spend this. This, yeah, I'm going to do it. So uh, we're, we're going to spend some time um, on, on this this word evil because it's it's something that, that the world doesn't like to talk about. You know, oh well, everyone's good, and we hear this in the church all the time. Well, I just have have a faith in people. If you have faith and hope in people, your faith is going to be misplaced, and it's going to let you down. So Paul says, he puts this pretty clearly in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, there's no getting around that, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The most beautiful but in the Bible, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. There was evil. There is evil. But God, being rich in mercy. We can sing good, good father confidently because our God is good. In spite of our sinfulness, in spite of the wickedness we see all around us, our father is good. His goodness through his son covers all of our evil. Amen. So back in Matthew, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Uh, there's a, a parallel passage to this in uh, Luke 11, where Luke kind of summarizes the Sermon on, on the Mount. But I love the last verse of that, Luke 11, 13. Uh, so Luke goes through several of these last themes that, that we discussed in the last few weeks. But Luke eleven thirteen. this is great. If you then, who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Luke understands this. The best gift that can be given is the Holy Spirit. So when John says, what is, what is good and what is noble to pray for, what is commendable to pray for, for those who are far from him to know the Lord. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift it is given to us. And we say coming out of Christmas that, that Jesus coming as a baby is the greatest gift that God gave mankind. In general, yes. But specifically, with Christ, atonement is a beautiful gift for us. And along with that, it's not separate from it, we gain the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes love and joy and peace. We see in the early church, this is what gospel proclamation looked like in Acts 2. A lot of times we, we miss this. In Acts 2, 38, when they are preaching just shortly after receiving the Holy Spirit, what are they telling them that the gift that they will receive is? It'll be up on your screen, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, up on the screen. Or turn there with me. I think I'm just talking to myself up here. It's okay. Um, Acts, Acts chapter 238, just one verse. So in the early church, what was the uh, gospel proclamation? There we go. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was the prize. Repent and believe and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. When we ask for good things, the Holy Spirit will give them to us. If, if we know him, Love and joy and peace and abundance. If we don't know him, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control for the first time. Because people seek love in relationships. Relationships will not give us everlasting love. That, that new car brings you happiness for a moment, but it does not bring you joy. Your 401k may make you feel secure, but it does not bring you peace over time. Those things are only found in the gifts of the Spirit, and that is the good gift that we have. And many times we walk around like our Father isn't good enough, He's not powerful enough, and we are not indwelt with His Holy Spirit. 
That's how good his fa- our, our father is, is he sent his spirit to dwell in each one of us. To walk with us and to guide us and to comfort us. That word in Greek, paraclete, it means comfort. To comfort us. And that same spirit of truth who dwells within us, comforts us with the truth of God's word. When we are rooted in God's word, when things go wrong, scripture comes to mind. When we are are, are tested, scripture comforts us. Believers call us out of nowhere, text us to tell us how much we matter to them. I'm blessed to have people in my life who text me every Sunday morning. We were praying for you last night. We were praying for you this morning. And it is amazing how many times in my life that people unsolicited have told me exactly what I needed to hear in the moment or given me encourage or just touched me on my shoulder when I didn't, I wasn't saying anything. The Lord works. The spirit is so good that when we seek him with our whole heart, we walk according to his will. He comforts us. He guides us. He walks with us. Because this is not about receiving stuff. It's not asking for things, but the love of God in the spirit and everything that comes with it. So this morning as we close up, let's do a little personal examination here. This is always fun, right? Ouch, I gotta take a personal inventory. What type of things are we asking for? What are we seeking after? What doors are we knocking on? Are we asking for more of the things of this world or of the fruit of the spirit? Are we asking for things that have eternal value, for things that pass away? Are we seeking our own pleasure or seeking after righteousness? I just want you to know that this great confidence that John told us, that Jesus is telling us, if we ask our good Father in heaven according to his will and in accordance with his word in the name of the Son, that we will receive the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit Every day of our lives. Seek first the kingdom of God. His righteousness. And all the things that you desire, they will please the Father. He will give you more than you could ever ask or imagine. Because God is our Father. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that our Father is good. And our Father is unchanging. And that He is faithful. And we close this morning. We're going to sing, Great is Thy faithfulness. Because even when we are not faithful, when we are still evil and we give bad gifts to our kids and we ask for things that are selfish, he's faithful. That is something that no prosperity gospel can account for. So our God is faithful whether we have in times of plenty or in times of little. In the mountains or the valleys, our God is faithful. Our Father is good. And our home is with him, the bosom of Abraham, for all eternity. That is what we celebrate, and that is what we'll sing to close our service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father. You welcome us into your home, came to know us intimately. You welcomed us into the family that you made us co-heirs with Christ, that our brother would be the first raised from the dead. That his humanity would save our humanity. That him seeking us would allow us to seek you. Lord, that this would just sink in and this would just 
rock us to our, our core, that you sought after us. You loved us first. You wanted to be our father so much that you sent your son to bear our penalty so that we could be part of your family and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we would not be alone on this earth, that you are with us and you dwell within us every day, and that our comfort and our joy and our peace would be in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.